The, the last sermon I want to present is entitled, But Deliver Us From Evil Expectations. But Deliver Us From Evil Expectations. I invite you to turn me to our opening text this afternoon to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Contrary to popular belief, freedom is not free, but instead it has a cost. And if you don't believe me, then just ask the parents who lost their only son fighting for our freedom. Just ask the little boy whose mommy's not coming anymore home from war. Just ask the young newlywed who just got a military visit at her front door, the high cost of freedom. And I'm almost certain that if you would, you would see how expensive freedom really is. And the freedom in this spiritual world is far more expensive for to be able to follow the dictates of one's own conscience. One must continually be fighting for one's freedom. For the freedom we experience is really our picture of God and the freedom he gives to you and me. So as we look at the high cost of spiritual freedom, may we remember that the battle is the Lord's and that it is he that will fight for us. Let us pray. Father, Lord, as the word is open, and once again we do humbly ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to lead us. And may our eyes... And ears be open. In Jesus' name, amen. What is God's government based upon? Notice the Bible says here. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. There is freedom. In other words, wherever the spirit of God is, there is liberty. In other words, wherever there is liberty... Allow. That was the whole reason for the Puritans coming to the United States. They wanted the freedom, the liberty to follow the dictates of one's own conscience. Wherever that is allowed, then God's presence, His Spirit, is poured out upon God's people. Are you following me? Wherever there is liberty, there's freedom. The Holy Spirit is poured out. But when man gets in the way, God's Holy Spirit cannot be poured out, not because he's not doing it, but because we ourselves are hindering the Holy Spirit from being poured out upon God's people, whether it be ourselves or whether it be us hindering it from being poured out upon another person. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. And there's one thing called religious liberty that we've promoted as a church that we need to believe and we need to practice within God's remnant church, I believe, in these last days. Where there is liberty, there is the Spirit. But Satan has spread the lies about the government of God that it is too restricted to be a Christian. Have you ever heard this before? And so this false doctrine is being taught, but beloved, God has given us the truth of his word to reveal to us. Now, I invite you to turn to me to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. How was Jesus treated when he was on this earth? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. 
Now we learn that the final Babylon in Revelation 13, we studied this morning, is going to, is going to cause, in other words, they're going to force you to do what they want you to do. They're going to try and control your actions. And how are they going to do it? They're going to try and control it by expecting you to do what they want you to do, right? They're going to control what you do by expectations. They're going to make you do what they want you to do by what they expect of you. In other words, Satan controls us whenever we give in to the expectations of others. That's the title, but deliver us from evil expectations. But God wants us to be free, beloved, from the bondage of always trying to live up to the expectations of others. Free from the manipulation of others, pressuring us to do what they want us to do. Free from the slavery of always being a people pleaser. And always wanting to make everybody happy. You know anyone like that? See, beloved, there is something called conviction. There's something that comes into your Holy Spirit, convicts you off. Giving the dictation of your own mind what you need to do. But people come along and they have expectations of what they expect you to do. And therefore, we give in to societal pressures of expectations and thus we give up the dictates of our own conscience to follow what people are pressuring us and manipulating us to do. And thus it will be in the last days. Expectations. And the reason why God wants us to be free, two things, is so that, number one, we can obey the dictates of our own conscience, and number two, we will have enough time to do what God is really calling us to do. I realize in my ministry that I was doing what everyone else wanted me to do because I wanted to make everyone happy, make sure that the church is going well, that everyone's getting along. And I was doing what everyone else expected me to do. But I realized that by doing what everyone else and making everyone happy, I realized that I had not enough time to do what God was really calling me to do. And Satan uses expectations of other people to get you so busy that the ministry and calling that God has called you to is not fulfilled in your life because you're too busy to do what God is calling you to do. I said enough of that. And you know, when you don't follow people's expectations, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a subtle power in expectations. People can get you to do what they want you to do because they're not happy when you don't fulfill their expectations. Is that not true? Notice what happened to Jesus. Powerful. How was Jesus treated when he was on this earth? And beloved, by the way, how you are preparing yourself today will determine to a large extent how you, be, how you will react in the last days. If you are giving in to expectations today, the la in the last days, there will come a time where you will give in to the expectations to worship on Sunday. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, the Bible says, talking about Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, why was Jesus despised and rejected by everyone, is my question. Look at this handout here. Look at the one that was just handed out to you. This is taken from Testimonies to Ministers, page 64. The Jews refused to receive Christ. Why? Because he did not come in accordance with their expectations. There's that word again, beloved. See, the problem with Jesus is this. Jesus had a problem. And his problem is this. He did not fulfill the requirements or the pressures of other people, the expectations of other people. And because of this, he was despised. Now look at the steps. I've kind of laid it out for you what happened here. The four steps. It says here, the people, first of all, they had expectations of Jesus, right? We learn in the Bible and the Spirit Prophecy quote. Number two, Jesus did not fulfill their expectations. And then we also learn, number three, that said because the people then rejected and despised Jesus because he would not fulfill their expectations. And number four, Jesus experienced sorrow and grief because of this rejection. Do you see that? In other words, there is a high cost for spiritual freedom, beloved, as a Christian. And Jesus paid that cost of freedom. He paid the ultimate cost, the cross of Calvary, to gain that freedom. Now I want you to know something. That even though Jesus had done many miracles, mighty miracles, this was not enough for the people. Even though he had raised up the dead, this was not enough for the people. Even though he had brought a revival to the church, this was not enough for the people. Even though he had preached powerful sermons, this was not enough for the people. For what people really wanted from Jesus was that they wanted him to fulfill their expectations of what they wanted him to do. In other words, they wanted to manage his success. They want to micromanage the work. They want to make sure the Holy Spirit moves exactly how they believe the Holy Spirit was to move. They follow me. And so they control the work of God. And that's what they're trying to do in that day. And Jesus had a problem. He didn't do things how people want him to do. And because of this, beloved, that they rejected him. But beloved, the reason why Jesus was able to do so much in such a short time is because he had time to do what God called him to do. If he was worried about fulfilling the expectations of everyone else, he would not have had enough time to do what God was calling him to do. So, beloved, this afternoon, God is calling us to be free. Free from the expectations from everyone else. And beloved, if Jesus had done what others expected him to do, he would have become just like the rest of us. But he was free. We're told inspiration that he did not live up to expectations. He did not do what people wanted him to do. He did not fulfill the expectations of others. Now, what did Jesus do when he saw that people were going to make him king? Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. 
verse 15. Notice what happened. John chapter 6, verse 15. The Bible says here, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by, how? Force. Cause. Control. Take him by force to make him a king. What did he do? He departed again into a mountain himself alone. Right? In other words, they wanted to make him king, but he did not want to fulfill their expectation. Now, how did they react to this? Look at verse 66. How did they react to this of Jesus not fulfilling their expectations? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Why did they turn away? Because Jesus did not do what they wanted him to do. And whenever we are called to serve in God's church, we are not to cater to others' expectations of us, beloved. Amen? You see, God cannot bless his church if there are people in a way hindering the Holy Spirit. And God is calling us to be faithful to his word. Now, what question did the Jews have concerning Jesus? Turn to John chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. John chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. You know, I want to say this also, that... There are principles that happen and people are doing by their own choice within God's remnant church. But beloved, God's church is not Babylon, beloved. Amen? And whoever calls God's church Babylon is not sent by God, beloved. Amen? But there can be principles that have seeped in, that we have allowed, and the system to allow that has crept in, that has hindered God's work also within God's remnant church. And we need to be aware of the dangers, and that's what we're looking at here this, this evening. Notice what, I, what, what question did the Jews have concerning Jesus? Notice what the Bible says here. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How nor this man letters, having never what? Learned. Now letters mean... He's never learned. Now, did Jesus never learn anything in his life? What was it that they were prejudiced against him about? Look at your handout here. The inspiration says here, Desire of Ages. Notice what it says here. Talk, referring to a specific text here that we just quoted. All wondered at his knowledge of the law and the prophecies. And the question passed from one to another. How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Why? Because of this. No one was regarded as qualified to be a religious teacher unless he had studied in the rabbinical schools, denominational schools. Hmm. And listen to this. And both Jesus and John the Baptist have been represented as what? Ignorant. Because they had not received this formal training. Now those are pretty bold words to call the greatest prophet that had ever lived and Jesus Christ himself ignorant, beloved. 
We're calling man who is the creature, is calling the creator himself ignorant. Not because he was ignorant. Was Jesus ignorant, beloved? He was the wisest man that ever lived. But the problem was that the Jews looked upon Jesus as ignorant and John the Baptist as ignorant because they did not receive a former education, right? He did not have the letters. He did not have the degrees. He did not have the position. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't all of these things. He did not have the qualifications in order to be able to teach the Word of God. And here's the thing. Couldn't Jesus had just gone to the rabbinical schools just to quiet the expectations of the people? Couldn't he? Then Ellen White would have never written this. She would have just totally taken it out of desire of ages. Then they would have accepted him and he wouldn't be ignorant anymore and he would have all the qualifications and degrees and everything we need to be a minister of the gospel. And I have a question for you this afternoon. If Jesus was here today, would he be allowed to teach in one of our institutions? Could he teach in one of our institutions? And here's another question. If you were in charge of one of our institutions, because of maybe your background or whatever, would you allow Jesus to teach in one of our institutions? Hmm. Could you teach, allow him to teach in one of our institutions? It's the question I ask you tonight. And my last question here is, do you disqualify or look down upon people because they don't have a former education, a prestigious position, or letters behind their name? It's a very good question to ask. Do you look down upon people? And I can honestly say, there was a time in one relationship I had where she was less educated, and I used that against her. And she used to say all the time, oh, Mrs. So-and-so education. Do we use that? Are we pressured by society? Or is the prestige really involved in our church today? Is a question I asked you. I think these are real questions that we need to ask ourselves. You see, beloved, God has given this church and called us the priesthood of all believers. And you do not need a theology degree in order to teach or to preach the word of God, beloved. Amen? All you need is the word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost, beloved. Amen? And we build these expectations. We build it. We created the system ourselves. And we hinder the Holy Spirit because we knock out saying you can only work for God and you can only work for God because you have the qualifications and the degrees that you need in order to be a qualified minister of the gospel. And so all you people who don't have these qualifications, you're totally cut off. And God may be thinking, maybe I'm going to use an Amos. 
Maybe I think I'm using a John the Baptist. Maybe I'm going to use a Matthew. Maybe I'm going to use these different people who don't have the qualifications in the year 2009. But then, beloved, we get in the way, we hinder the moving of God's Holy Spirit. Where are we today? Do we worship higher education and degrees? Have we allowed the God of Ekron to rule our churches? These are good questions to ask ourselves, isn't it? What happened to Jesus' family when they wanted to see him? Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. Let's look, continue on our study in expectations. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 to 50. When Jesus, what did Jesus do when his mother and his brothers wanted to see him? Notice the Bible says here. The Bible says, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desire to speak with him. Then it says here, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. And notice what he said. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Jesus always did the will of his Father before the expectations of even his own family, Right? Okay, look at your, um, your quotation again. Look at the next quotation. Talking about the family relations. It says here, the Jews, the Jews refused to receive Christ because he did not come in accordance with their expectations. We're talking about expectations. The ideas of finite men were held as infallible because hoary with age. Actually, <laughs> Let's go back one, one quote before. We'll get that. But let's go back. It says, Long had they looked for a Messiah who would exalt and glorify them as a nation. And now they had, they had their expectations were not realized. They refused to receive him as a redeemer. Even his chosen disciples were becoming impatient that he did not assume temporal authority. And his relatives were, what is that word? Disappointed in him and what? Rejected him. His own family rejected him because he did not fulfill the expectations of what his family wanted him to do. And unfortunately, beloved, there are many young people today who are fulfilling the expectations of others and even their parents rather than following the dictates of their own conscience. You know how many friends I had that told me that they felt pressured to go into a certain profession because of their family? How many of you know someone like that? Don't raise your hand, but know someone like that. <laughs> I said not to raise your hand, but you're raising your hands. <laughs> Why? Because they want to fulfill the expectation of their family, their parents. 
Yes, we are to honor our parents, but at the same time, there's an age of accountability with God in which we are to find out from Him what is our lifelong career that he, God is calling us to, beloved. Amen? There's a calling for every single one of us. There's a friend that I had that left, the medical, left medical school. And he went to the dean of the institution. And he told him that, I just don't feel called to be a physician. And you know what the dean said to him? More power to you. <laughs> he said, more power to you. I said, about, uh, about 25% of the people who graduate every year from this medical institution, 25% of them don't want to be a physician. You think about that, if it's 150 people graduating every year, that's about almost 40 people are graduating as physicians in one institution every single year that do not want to be a physician. And those are the people who are honest with themselves. For how many of them actually self-deceive themselves that maybe this is really what I want, and maybe I don't really feel like this is what I want to do the rest of my life, but maybe, you know, after hearing so many times from their family and their friends, and maybe this is what God is calling me to do the rest of my life. And beloved, where are you this evening? Are you in a profession or an educational track simply because you're fulfilling your family's expectations of you? Or are you aware, or are you where God wants you to be this evening? Are you for certain that this is where God wants you to be? Now, what was the reason why they wanted to kill Jesus? Turn to John chapter 11, verse 50. John chapter 11, verse 50. They said, nor consider that it is expedient for us. It's better for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. In other words, it is better that one person should die, named Jesus Christ, than we lose the whole system. It's better that he die than we lose them because if he does, he's going against the system and therefore it's better that we get rid of this one person named Jesus Christ. You see, the leaders believed that the system existed through the passing down of tradition had become infallible. And it was because Jesus wouldn't submit to the system of the church that they killed him, and they felt that better one man should die than we lose the whole system. Now, why did they pick on Jesus? See, the reason why they picked on Jesus was because he had great influence over the people. As long as Jesus was not influential among the people, as long as no one really knew about him, his ministry was not well known, they were not so much concerned. But as soon as the ministry got great and Jesus was, had great influence among the people, then they knew that they needed to get rid of him. Look at your quote here, the, the fifth one. Inspiration says, the Jews refused to receive Christ because he did not come in accordance with their expectations. The ideas of finite men were held as infallible because horrid age. 
This is the danger to which the church is now exposed. Listen to this. That the inventions of finite men shall mark out the precise way for the Holy Spirit to come, beloved. Amen? Are you seeing this now? Are you seeing the bigger picture? The danger with God's church today is the same way. The same way they had expectation for Jesus to come. The same way they felt that Jesus would work. He was, the same way they want to manage his success. It's the same danger that God's remnant church faces in the last days. That we shall mark out the precise way in which the Holy Spirit can move. He can only move this way, but not that way. When there's a kingly power that decides and, and decides what should be used and who should be used and how things are to be used. And as long as that happens, we will continually hinder the working and the power of the Holy Ghost. When I first started the ministry, God was really blessing. There was a church I went to that two conference presidents wanted to shut down. Had so few members, they just wanted to, to just do away with it. When I went there, it was just a handful of people. Just a handful of people. And I remember sitting in the back when I had two churches. I sat in the back and I look at this church and I go, God, why do you send me here, you know? And then the people who were on that board, the few people that said, Pastor, whatever you want, we would do it. And so we did. We did evangelism after evangelism. And God started blessing and people were getting baptized and the church started growing. And this had a handful, less than 10 people. And it started growing, and again, the Holy Spirit was being poured out into the church, and God was blessing and blessing. Until the leaders didn't like that there are more people coming in, and they're losing control over the church. I'm going to share something with you. There's something called patriarchs and matriarchs. You ever heard of that before? This is a terminology that's not shared too much with the lay people. It's something that pastors we talk all the time about. Patriarchs and matriarchs. And so I had confronted these people. I had, I had gone up to them, and there was a major challenge between us. And so I finally went to this meetings and seminar for pastors in the, in the union, and I went there, and this happened that there was a seminar talking about patriarchs and matriarchs <clears throat> given by somebody up in a general conference. So I went in a seminar, and I'm there I'm sitting in a seminar, and then as I'm listening, he says, whatever you do as a pastor, don't ever go against the patriarch or the matriarch of a church. Don't ever Go against it. You know, I already know my situation. I have already gone against the patriarch and matriarch. It's too late to tell me that not to go against this patriarch and matriarch. So looking for a little hope, I went up to him later on and, and I told him, I had already gone against the patriarch and matriarch. What's my only hope? And then he said to me, 
Your only hope is to stick close to your conference president. <laughs> Not realizing that this matriarch already called the conference and they got them on their side, and so they're all working against me at that time. Oh, by the way, I'm sharing this story because I'm not talking about our president here. Our president in the Hawaii conference, godly man. You know, actually we have a very good, very good actual relationship. Very good. I'm very tight and close. Actually, I'm, I, I have the utmost respect. Actually, these sermons, I've been inspired by his leadership. But the principles I'm learning, I'm, I'm actually sharing with you by his, how he lives his life. So here I am, I'm telling him, I, I've already done this. What can I do? I went back to my churches. I was so discouraged. I was so depressed. I was just ready to give it up. I said, what hope is there? You know, but then the Holy Spirit came to me, re-inspired me within my heart, snapped me out of my depression that was going in, my discouragement, and he gave me these words, who are these uncircumcised Philistines <laughs> that they should defy the armies of the living God? Yes, there's no Goliaths that have been slain, but who are these uncircumcised? Who do they think they are that they can defy the churches of the living God? Though they may all be afraid, who do they think they are that they can defy God's remnant church? And though the leadership is saw, they may they be afraid, but who do they think they are? Young and passionate as, as I was, I went forward. And by God's grace, you know, God's a He shall fight the battle for us, beloved. Amen? Amen? He worked it out. I mean, councils were called. You know, beloved, I went to... There were times where there, previously they were trying to get me fired, send me away. But you know, God protected me every single time. Amen. And God blessed that church. Today, God has blessed that church, and that church is packed. There are Sabbaths that people sit outside. God has blessed that church. The church they're going to shut down, beloved. And here's the thing. It's nothing to do with me. It's all God. And not only not, nothing to do with me, this is the point. When the people who were controlling the work of God was allowed to be taken out of the way the Holy Spirit was allowed to move in liberty and move among God's people. Amen, beloved? Amen. You know, to this week, I just had an, uh, another talk with two fellow pastors last week who's pastor in the same island as me. They share the same principles. They're struggling with the patriarch and matriarch of their churches. I can go to any church and I can tell you exactly who the matriarch and patriarch of each church. And you can normally tell when you see everyone turns to that person and they're using fear tactics and power to control everyone else that they don't want to... I hear this a lot. Don't get that person mad. You always want them on your side. You ever heard that before? And God wants a church that is free of control in these last days. You see, beloved, God is not up there, like I said before, He's not up there saying, okay, bless this church, don't bless this church. God is not arbitrarily choosing who's going to bless and who's not blessing. God's blessing is free to everyone. He's not a respecter of persons or a respecter of churches. God is, is loving to everyone. It is we, beloved, that get in the way. Are you seeing a clearer picture this, this evening? Are your mind opening up just a little bit to see 
the dangers of kingly power within God's church. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be free. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where is freedom, there is God's Holy Spirit moving within a mighty way. Please turn into Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans, when did Jesus die for us? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, But God commanded his love toward us, and that while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. In other words, Christ died for us. Christ loved us. Even though we failed to fulfill his expectations for him. Are you following me? Before we failed any expectation, he still loved us. Before that, beloved. And because he loves us, we love him in return. And then we will come up to all the high expectations that God has for us, beloved. Amen? But he allows us and he loves us and he allows us to come to him and he loves us and he died for us when we failed in meeting his expectation. Beloved, that is not how the world works today. You have to fulfill an expectation before they respect you. You must have a prestigious position, a good job before people look up to you. You must have certain degrees before they will even talk to you sometimes. The world lives by expectations. They expect you to do what they want you to do. But that is not God's government. God's government is free this evening, beloved. Amen? God gives you that freedom, and he gives you that choice, and he loves you in spite of your failure, in spite that you don't meet your, his expectations. And that's the God we serve. And whenever someone surrenders their heart to God, Satan then attacks them with his arsenal of expectations. He has the expectation of you making a lot of money, the expectation of having a prestigious job, the expectation of having a nice car, of looking and dressing good, of having to be someone that you are not, just to impress everyone else, to fulfill everyone's expectation. Do you not see that is very prevalent within even God's church today? Do not people dress a certain way, even though they do not even have the money using their credit card, just to make them look good so that people will, will actually accept them and they can fulfill the expectation of other people? Do you know people are acting a certain way, a certain aura about themselves so that they can pretend to be something they're not, prestigious or whatever it may be, just so that they can fulfill the expectation of others and people can look up to them? Do we not live in a world of expectations here? I suggest we do this evening, don't we? Do we not? Sad to see that we're so busy chasing these expectations that we have no time for God, no time for our families, no time for our children. Keeping up with the Joneses, trying to live the American dream, that's really what it is, it's only a dream because you never achieve it, right? <laughs> Do we not fulfill people's expectations all of the time? Now you need to think about this because I'm just sharing principles, but you need to ask God, search my heart. Am I fulfilling people's expectations? Is my whole life just after the pursuit of making people happy or making them approve of what I'm doing? Am I in my position? Am I in my job? Am I even in school here just because I want to make other people happy? Or is this what the dictates of my conscience is really telling me to do and what I need to do to follow my God? These are good questions that I think we need to ask ourselves, right? Isn't it, beloved? 
because how you react today will show and prove how you will react in the last days. I can guarantee it. Jesus was free because the moment he came into this world, he was fighting for his freedom. And it's this freedom that reveals a clearer picture of who God is and the government he's founded upon. The cross of Calvary is a symbol of the price that Jesus paid for his freedom. And beloved, I want to be free. How about you? I broke away from the freedom, from the, the slavery and the bondage of people's expectations this past year. You know, this has been the hardest year in my pastoral experience because I was determined that I'm no longer going to live up to what the members expect me to do as a minister. I'm going to live up to what God is calling me to do and to do what God is calling me to do in spite of what happens. You know, it's a very high cost for freedom. But beloved, once you taste it, you never want to go back, beloved. Amen? And beloved, there are probably people here that are slaves to others tonight. Don't you want to be free? Maybe you need to go back home and pray about where is it that you're a slave? But Jesus called us to be free, and you should be free indeed, beloved. Amen? How many want to be free this evening by the grace of God? Let me see your hands. Amen? Amen. Let us all be free. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the freedom in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the liberty you give that we don't have to live up to the expectations of others. Bless everyone here. We thank you for the time spent together. We thank you for your precious word and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.